We are excited about the kickoff of Be Rich today. I love to see the church actually being the church. Uh, this, is what, this is why we have been placed in this community. This is why we're here. Uh, we are here. You, know, you could have gotten saved and God could have taken you up to heaven in an instant because your work on earth is done. That's not true. Your work on earth is, is your work until the Lord uh, takes you home or comes to get his church. And the goal for us as believers should always be that the world sees the love of Christ and that, uh, that they come to know him as Savior because of the example and because of the evangelization of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, so as we kick off this, uh, this series uh, today, uh, my prayer is that you would already be thinking about how you're going to uh, how you're going to be rich. Um, I, when I first heard about, about this series, uh, I, was, uh, I was talking with, um, with Matt, and, and I, I wasn't sure it was like, like some kind of like prosperity gospel series. Like, am I, like, you want me to spend a month telling you how you can be rich? You know, name it and claim it. Now I was like, that is not my wheelhouse, but we'll give it a go. I was so excited to hear that, that this was about the church being what the church should be. And so uh, I want to encourage you now, be praying. Take one of those, those sheets. Take a couple of invite cards. This is two-tiered, okay? This is about you uh, giving, serving, right, that, that whole thing, but also you inviting. There are invite cards that are on the pews as well, and there's some also in the back. Um, the goal should be for, for us, there are people all around us. You know people. You know people that aren't in church, you know people that don't have a church home. You know people that have been hurt by the church. And I hate that that happens, but it happens, and it's legit. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I've been in this church since, uh, since 4th of July weekend. And let me tell you, if I was going to, if, if, I, if I lived uh, within a 45-minute drive of this church, and depending on traffic, it, it is a crapshoot as to whether it is 45 or an hour 15. If I lived in this area, this would be the church I'd be inviting people to. You guys, are, you guys are lovely, wonderful, special people. And so if you're watching online, amen, right? Uh, if you are watching online uh, and you're, you're, like, you're just trying to figure us out, you're like, I don't know about that guy. Like, I don't know about the guy that preaches, but like, the music's really good. Let me tell you, if you're wondering about, about a, you know, coming and, and checking us out live, I have been here since July. They haven't eaten one person that's walked through the door. And so I think, uh, I think if, you're, if you're looking for a place to find your church home, why don't you come check us out here at Fort Caroline? If you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to uh, James chapter 5 today. James chapter 5. Some of you may have, uh, may have peeped my, uh, my sermon notes online. I give you three quarters of my notes um, online, uh, which I, is, is totally against my nature because uh, I am like my father in as much as I love surprises. Uh, and so, um, so I don't usually like for you to know what I'm going to preach before I walk in. Uh, but I do that because uh, I want you to be able to take some notes. If you go to fcbc.life, uh, you can go to the sermons page. that You will actually find the majority of my notes online. Go find it. Take some extra notes. Email them to yourself. Uh, spend the week praying over how can how has God spoken to you uh, through uh, the uh, the communication of His Word, um, and, and so you may have already gone and looked at the notes for today and gone, oh man, he's preaching on money. All right, I'm done. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. That's that's my thing. Um, I, I, you're right, and you're probably a little wrong too. Um, I'm the interim. I can tell you that. And so. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to ask you, give me 30 minutes, all right? Give me 30 minutes to tell you why it's important for us as the church to talk about these things. Because I know that you guys are like, man, we, we love to, to, to go uh, help freshen up schools and First Coast Women's Services. And we love uh, to, to uh, donate uh, toys to one more child. We love to give and we love to go and do mission work. Um, can I be honest with you? Not every church is like that. 
Like, I know it seems weird because y'all have such a culture uh, of generosity at this church, uh, but there are a lot of churches that just decide that kind of have the country club mentality that I'm just going to, uh, you know, that, that I come to, to church to be served. You know, this is where I come and get my happy and then, and then I leave. Um, it's important for us in this series because we have people in this church from so many different ecclesiological backgrounds, right? You have, you have, have some of you grew up in church. Some of you uh, went to like a really like fundamental church growing up. And then you realize that, that, that church wasn't all about the length of your dress or how long your hair was or whether or not you could have a beard or not, or what that looks like. Uh, you know, but, but really that, that church, even though that was what you were taught your whole life, but now you're realizing there is freedom in Christ and that whether you wear a suit to church or whether you wear khaki shorts and a, and a t-shirt to church that God loves you and that God's pursuing you. There's some of y'all that didn't grow up in that at all. Like you didn't grow up going to church at all. And so here you are, you've all just sort of come into Fort Caroline and you're just like, it's just this big hodgepodge of church backgrounds. And so we got to establish and to talk about these things because the Bible speaks to it. It's important for us that we set this foundation so we all have the same starting place, all right? It's important for us to establish that, that in this series, we're going to see some biblical examples of how finances are used, but how finances are used well, how they are not used uh, so well, and maybe even in an unwise and unchristian manner. And so that may cause us to kind of ipso facto uh, view money as evil because a lot of times, especially if you read some of the more radical stuff that's out there uh, about, about biblical and Christian generosity, uh, there are those that are out there that are going to say, you know what, like if you, have, if you have nice clothes that have been washed this week, that you're not living for Jesus enough, that you need to sell all of your possessions and go. And let me tell you, I have friends, people that I know that have sold everything they own and have gone to the nations. And I think that is beautiful and wonderful. But I think if you're living in Jacksonville and you have a nice home and a boat and two and a half kids and you are just loving the Lord and living for Jesus, I think you're doing great too. So where's the line? What, what does it look like for us to be generous with the finances that God's given us, but also being good stewards and, and, and knowing how do we use our, the, 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 um, the things that God's blessed us to further his kingdom? Okay? So understand our big idea for today is this, that extravagant generosity, that's what we've been called to, church. We have been called as a people in Christ to be extravagantly generous. Right? Extravagant generosity towards others is the most appropriate response to God's extravagant generosity toward us. You will never outgive God, ever. Like, there's no way. All right, you, your soul, if you're a believer in Jesus, your soul has been purchased out of hell. God has, ex has shown you such extravagant generosity that you will never catch up. We should, we, but we should be spending our lives here trying. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All right, look at what, don't, don't read what it's not saying here. All right. I think a lot of times we love, to, we love to twist this stuff. We go, oh, money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. Money can be used to do some really fantastic things. When we love it more than Jesus, it becomes evil. Okay, it, The love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from their faith 
and have pierced themselves with many pangs, right? People who have just, just fallen so in love with what money can do in this world, and they walk away from the faith because being a Christian involves us dying to anything that would cause us to love something else other than Jesus. So the Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. It is the love of it. Money makes the world go round. And it always, but we find that sin comes down to issues of the heart. Last week, we looked at the Garden of Eden, right? How everything goes back to the garden. We see what, what Satan did, what the serpent did. He comes along and he, he, he stirs the affections of Adam and Eve, saying, saying don't you want to be like God? And he felt that pride starting to well. We're, we're created in his image. Right? He, he, he wants us to be like him. So maybe if we eat of the tree and the knowledge of good and evil, we can be like God and their heart is bursting with pride and that killed them. We have to filter this series through a particular lens. Okay, and that because we don't want to become legalistic in our generosity that I can say, well, you know what? I gave a thousand dollars to First Coast Women's Services and you only gave nine hundred ninety eight. God loves me better. All right. That's not true. All right. Or I I gave a hundred dollars to to buying kids for one more child. But yet somebody else, some some child gave a dollar. I'm not better than them because I gave ninety nine more dollars. We don't want to become legalistic in our generosity. We don't, because here's what legalism is about, okay? Legalism is about earning God's favor and his acceptance and his love over something we either do or don't do. That's not why we're extravagantly generous. We should be extravagantly generous rather than being generous out, out, of, out of this outflow um, of a desire for God's acceptance. Church, if you've trusted Jesus as Savior, God loves you, and he pursues you, and he's running after you. We just sang it. Our generosity should should, should come as an outflow of the generosity that Jesus has shown to us when he went to Calvary for your sins and for mine. So our attitudes about the things of this world, how we view the things of this world, speak to, um, they reflect our view of God and of the provision that he offers is kind of broad-based in our lives. Let's read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is a hard passage. I was so excited to see on the sermon calendar that I got to preach out of James today, one of my favorite books in all the Bible. I thought, as long as it doesn't have to be out of chapter 5, we're going to be great. Because this is a hard passage. But let's read it. And let's unpack. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming on you. That's a good start. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What about James 1 where it says... You know, consider it joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of many kinds. That's much more fun to preach. <laughs> he, says, you, he says, you have laid, verse uh, 3, in verse 3, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Okay, I feel like we should pray and just end here. Um, two things I want us to look at from this passage this, this morning, and then, uh, then hopefully we'll have a better picture on this. All right, one is this, that the hoarders will be held accountable. Uh, the, the hoarders will be held accountable. Look at, look at verse 3. He says, you have laid up your treasure. You've laid up your treasure in the last days. All right, this is speaking to the rich. Now, what is rich? All right, how do we define rich? All right, because there were days when, uh, when Allie and I were in seminary that we didn't have two nickels to rub together, okay? Now we have two or three to rub together, which is fine, okay? But we didn't have two nickels to rub together when we were in seminary. We, I mean, we, we could write a cookbook on different ways to prepare ramen noodles, all right, for the glory of God. All right, like we, we lived on that. Like, like we, we thought we were rich on payday when we got to go to the cheap Chinese buffet in Wake Forest, North Carolina. That was, those were the good days. They had Mongolian barbecue. All right, and so we were excited. It was like $7.99 a person. And I thought, how, how are we going to afford gas after this? Who cares? Let's go get fat. All right, so um, <laughs> we, and we just went and just, just had a great time. All right, rich is relative. Okay, you, you have people that are living on the beach, like just down the road from here, who are in multiple million dollars of homes. And if that is you, I would love to talk to you about house sitting later, okay? Um, you know, rich is relative, all right? Because you, you figure that the person that, that has nothing, who's eating out of the garbage heap, who may be homeless, you know, who is looking at someone uh, who is, is living in, you know, along the poverty line and goes, hey, you know what, they're rich. Someone living on the poverty line may look at someone who's living uh, in a middle in a middle class idea, single family home. Uh, you know, um, just living living the dream, right? You know, they're 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 rich. Someone who's in a middle class environment may look at someone that lives along the beach and goes, "Man, they're rich." Let's understand that rich is relative. So what James is saying, he says, he's telling these people, you you've you've laid up your treasure in the last days. Where have they laid it up? Well, it's important for us to see. He says, verse 1, he says, You rich, you weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your uh, garments are moth-eaten. It's almost like Jesus might have said something like this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Something better, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where these things don't happen. So when James, the half-brother of Jesus, is speaking to the people, he is saying, you've laid up your, uh, for yourselves treasures in the last days. And the inference is, because your garments are moth-eaten and your riches have rotted, that they have laid it up. Up in the wrong place. Now, James is not talking about the people that have stored up for themselves, um, like the garage is full of, of, of junk, right? Like you've seen those TV shows, right? Like where, where you go in and like, like there's like bags of garbage in a living room and like you can't find anywhere to sit. James is not talking about people with a genuine psychological condition. Many times you're going to see people that have, that have either grew up in poverty or have a genuine trauma background. And they, or they've experienced some other kind of deprivation that caused them to hold on to things. It's where the TV show Hoarders comes from. And you might be, you might be thinking, that is not me. Your kids may think differently. I don't know. Okay, I really don't. It's not the hoarding that James is speaking of here. James is coming after the rich who know it. 
Uh, I, I, I recently met an, an individual, super nice guy. Um, the guy is, is worth $60 million. Okay, like I just, I was hoping that maybe just some change would fall out of his pocket and I might be able to like partake of a little bit of it during the day. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, we were, we, we were, I spent the whole day with this guy. Um, if you, if someone hadn't told me that he had made $60 million in the Texas oil industry, I wouldn't have known. The guy was just the most humble, the most kind, the most, the funniest individual you would ever meet. You hadn't, you would have no idea that he has the money that he has. The rich people that we're talking, that James is talking about, these people had in their, in their particular construct, their, their culture, they had the opportunity to affect true change on the, the, the hurting and the famine and the least of these that were around them. But out of their greed, they chose to hold on to what they had. They stored up for themselves treasures on earth. Exactly against what Jesus told us to do. Look at verse 4. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, right? These day laborers, they would come to work and they would work in the fields and they, they needed to put food on the table today. And they would, at the end of the day's work, they would get paid. And then the next day, they would come back and they would get paid. If they didn't get paid at the end of the day, the family wasn't having dinner that night. They couldn't afford for their employer to send them home without a paycheck. If that happened, there would be no supper. The kids would go to bed hungry. God calls on us to be faithful, church, in our commitments. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Especially in, in not taking advantage of people who have these types of needs. And so in, in the first century, there were people who had legitimate needs. They were these day, day laborers. Their wages were small. And so, so this is why the, the mercy laws in Scripture insist on prompt payment of wages to someone who is hired to be a day laborer. That's how the system worked. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, in verse 14, Moses says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether he is one of your brothers or is one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he's counting on it. Lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. If we look at, at verse, um, in verse 4, he says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. These people were hiring day workers and they were not... They were not paying them at the end of the day. But look at verse 5. He says, you were living on your, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Could they have paid these workers? 100% they could have. But they chose to hoard it up, to keep it, to not honor their commitments. And church, when, even if it's not something that, that's something so overt that we, that we can see, if there's a commitment that you make to God and then you don't fulfill those commitments, nobody else around you may know. The Lord knows. The Lord sees it. And so the Lord's called it on us not to hoard, not to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Because church, if we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, it show, or if we store up for ourselves treasures on earth, it proves to God that we don't trust him to provide all of our needs. The Lord is calling us church, to be faithful with what we do have. 
Are you rich? Remember how we addressed the idea of wealth? Remember several weeks ago we talked about what, what truly is ours? That everything above nothing is a gift from God? Church, when everything's above, everything above nothing is a gift from God, when we view even the clothes that we wear, the shirt on our backs, as a gift from a holy God, then it shouldn't be hard for us to turn around and give those things away. Because if God provided once, church, he will provide again. Peter, or Jesus spoke in a parable of what it looks like to show extravagant generosity only to turn around and withhold it uh, from others. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Peter had just asked Jesus about how many times he was to forgive someone that had wronged him. And so Jesus explains it, then he tells, he paints this word picture. He tells a story about the kingdom, how the kingdom of heaven would be compared to a king that wanted to settle his accounts with his servant. And so you're going to see some terms in this, uh, in this uh, deal. And so I want you to understand the terms because the manner of speaking is different than what today's looks like. So uh, in, back in the first century, one denarius... Our plural is denarii, denarii. Um, one denarius uh, is equal to one day's wage. So if you were a day laborer, you generally got paid somewhere. One day's wage, uh, one denarius would be, would be a fine living for a day laborer, okay? Uh, one talent, right? And we, when we read about talents in scripture, and we talk about the servants who buried the talents, one who invested the talents, one who just went and squandered the talents, right? Um, one talent is, is not like a gift or, a, or like like like. Some of you have talent in singing. I, I'm not that guy. Um, but like talents in scripture uh, are a monetary value that are roughly 6,000 denarii, depending on how the exchange rate's going. So you're going to see uh, a, um, a guy that in the beginning of this passage that is going to owe uh, the king 10,000 talents. That is, equals, that is equal to 60 million denarii. Okay? 10,000 talents, 60 million denarii. 60 million Day's wage for a day labor, okay? Now, understanding of the terms, let's read Matthew chapter 18, verse 24 through 34. He says, when, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And when he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in his payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Pretty extravagant, right? Verse 28, but when the same servant went out and he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that, does that sound, have you heard that before? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you the equivalent of 60 million denarii. All right? I, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not have had mercy on your... Uh, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. 
until he should pay all of his debt. This passage is about the forgiveness of someone who sins against us, right? We have been forgiven our sin by God so much. How could we not forgive others that forgive us? But let's filter this through the lens of the posture of one's heart. The Lord has shown us so much generosity in offering Jesus to pay that sin debt that we couldn't afford. Church, the Lord is going to judge harshly those who have been forgiven much, those who have been shown such extravagant generosity that don't turn around and show it to others. Did you know that you hold within you the key to people getting out of hell for all of eternity? How much would you have to hate somebody to know the key to getting them out of hell for all of eternity and not tell them about it? Like, man, I've been saved. The Lord saved me. Blessings. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. Oh, I'm going to thank you. But then not show it to the person that needs it the most that you work with, that you live with. The hoarders, those who hoard the generosity and the grace of Jesus Christ within are going to be judged harshly, church. We will. But the generous, oh, the generous are going to be rewarded. Okay, all right, that's enough angry. Let's get happy. All right, so, uh, so let's see what happens when we are faithful with our riches. With the, and, and we're not talking just your financial riches, right? I hope by this point you see that riches are not just monetary, all right, that they are spiritual riches as well. That your time, your talent, your treasure, all those things that, that you have been shown so much generosity that you should be being generous with those things. Let's see what happens when we're faithful with our riches. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. So we've already seen what Jesus says about storing up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust, moths and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to you see what you prioritize in this world? Show me your bank statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Look at, at, verse, at James chapter 5, uh, verses 5 and 6. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Jesus hasn't called us to live lives of self-indulgence. Does that mean that we can't have nice things? Does that mean, pastor, that we can't have, take nice vacations and, or buy a boat or buy that nice truck? Or build that nice house on the water? Are you saying that, that I just need to sell everything I have and go live in a cardboard box somewhere? No, that's not what James is saying. James is saying that the posture of our hearts should not be about the gratification of self. Church, you can have nice things. And I encourage you to invite me to enjoy those nice things with you. 
Like, I, I don't mind begging. I got the microphone. I don't mind begging. Here's what the scripture means. As you grow in discipleship, as you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus, that you and I, as we grow together in faith, we should inherently desire to be known in the world, not for what we have, but for whose we are. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, the prophet writes, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and the prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Okay. Being seen in your new house or driving your new truck or your new boat, hear me, is not a bad thing. But it shouldn't be the end all and be all. Posting photos on Facebook or on Instagram just so you get the likes and the comments of people saying, I'm jelly. I'm so jelly of you. Is that what the kids say these days? I don't know what the kids say these days. It shouldn't be about making other people jealous of your status in life. If you can have nice things and keep the main thing the main thing, and what is the main thing? What's his name? Good. All right, it's a good answer. Jesus. Okay? That's the right answer. Then do it. Buy it. Have it. Enjoy it. And for each of us, it's different, okay? Each of us have, have something different that is, that is our, our thing that we really want. It may be a, that you know, a new $100,000 bass boat, okay? It may be, you know, really, I just want a, I just want a nice house on, on Black Creek somewhere. That's what I want in life, right? Or on the river. Whatever it is for you, don't let it supplant Jesus on the throne of your life. Be generous because when, when Jesus is on the throne of your life and not whatever else the world offers, when it's Jesus that sits on the throne of your life, your posture of your heart is bowed in the person and the work of Jesus, you will naturally, in the outflow of that, be generous to others. Because when your heart reflects the heart of Christ, you naturally want to reflect the heart of the one that sits on the throne of your life. So generosity in a Fort Caroline Baptist context isn't just about funding the budget per se. It's about being generous overall so that the Great Commission might be fulfilled. But And you're going to see this next week, next Sunday night at the annual business meeting. You're going to see that how every dollar at Fort Caroline Baptist Church is spent. It can be said again, ipso facto, that when you are generous with your riches and when you partner with others at this church to fully fund the budget at Fort Caroline, you are being faithful to fulfill the Great Commission.
Because the budget of Fort Caroline is designed in such a way to fulfill the Great Commission. So this month, as we give, and I would encourage you, be praying about the $40 that they're, they're asking everybody here to give. And I would, I would pray that if you're able to add a zero or two zeros onto that $40, then give as the Lord would lead. If the Lord would lead you to help clean up First Coast Women's Services or to go freshen up the grounds at the school or to pack meals, then do it. Church, being generous with what we have says two things about us. One, that we trust that when we give away, that God will provide and will fill up the silos that we empty by being generous. And two, our, that our focus as believers in Jesus is not in this life. Now, enjoy what we have while we're in this life. But for me and my family, our gaze goes beyond this life to the life that's to come. And whatever happens in this life is just a means to an end that gets me to being, to being in front of my Savior, Jesus, who I get to bow the knee. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your rest. But church, you and I, we're never more like Jesus than when we're serving others. Because when we serve others, we are fulfilling what John the Apostle said. That if any of you would be a disciple of Jesus, that men will know that we are disciples of Jesus and how we love the brothers. Church, let's use this opportunity to realize just how extravagant the Lord was when he offered Jesus for our sin. And let's turn around and be extravagantly generous to others. That they might know of Jesus, that they might trust him, and they might be radically saved plucked out of hell for God's glory and for their good. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And after I pray, uh, we're going to have some representatives back in the next steps table. If you're here in the room today uh, and you are, um, you just had questions about membership at, at Fort Caroline, what that looks like, uh, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, we would love to talk with you back in the back. Um, just to give you more information on the church, more information on what it looks like to trust Jesus as Savior. Um, if you're watching online and you have questions, we would encourage you to comment uh, down below. Uh, we would love to, to follow up with you, have more give you more information on what it means to be a part of this church, but also to be a member of the, of the body of Christ. Thank you so much. Let's pray as we close out today, and then let's go be extravagantly generous to the world that desperately needs to see it. Father, we love you and we honor you. As we close things out today, God, may we... May we just be reminded, God, not in, in a guilt-ridden fashion, uh, but God, may we just be reminded of, of how much love and grace we've been shown. That God, that, that we would show that generosity back to, the, back to a world that just has no idea how much you love them. God, may this series, may it prick our hearts, may it change us, that others might know that you are the God of this age, and all the ages around it. Might they be changed, saved by the blood of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.